a miracle. Some of you would say, it's a miracle that I'm here today. It's a miracle that I haven't taken out my spouse after what they did to me this morning. It's a miracle that my children have survived all of these years or that I've survived my children. That's why I've got this gray hair. Maybe it gets a little bit more serious for you where you would say, it really is a miracle that I'm here because without the Lord, I would have died. Some of you can say that physically, but many of us, if not all of us, ought to be able to say that spiritually. Webster's has a pretty complex definition of what a miracle is, I think. They describe it as an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs, whatever that means. C.S. Lewis explains it a little more colorfully when he describes it as something unique that breaks a pattern so expected and established we hardly consider the possibility that it could be broken. If for thousands of years, he says, a woman can become pregnant only by sexual intercourse with a man, then if she were to become pregnant without a man, it would be a miracle. We would wholeheartedly agree on the virgin birth. But the definition that I like the best is provided by Eric Metaxas, and I've kind of added a little bit to it. He says, when something outside space and time enters space and time, turns the world upside down. And if that doesn't describe first century Palestine, I don't know what does. Jesus is coming in announcing the good news. He has preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has gone through the Sermon on the Mount. He has given them the law and the fulfillment of the law. I say unto you these words from the Lord. And then in chapter 8, he's done these miraculous healings. He cleanses a leper. He cleanses the daughter of the centurion. He goes and he cleanses everyone and everything inside. And he calms the winds and the waves. Calls out, peace be still. And then in chapter 9, he continues this same miraculous story. But I want us to see this morning if we can get beyond the surface level of physical healing to the root issue, which all of us need, and that is spiritual healing. Look at Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. The girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David! When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, 
be it done to you. Their eyes were opened. Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. The crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. We see the great physician in action in this passage. The one who is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Isaiah and all the prophets had foretold him and now he is here right among them. And the scene shifts to this man who is described as a paralytic and in parallel passages of scripture they actually lower him into the house on his bed. They remove the roof. They put him down there in front of Jesus and the Bible tells us that when Jesus saw their faith he said to that man take heart your sins are forgiven. Immediately the scribes begin to grumble. They say, this man is blaspheming. You can almost hear them saying to him, you're not working in the way that you're supposed to work. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, as he so often does, asks them something profound. Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. Remember this, Jesus doesn't examine the body without also healing the soul. And he understands something that the crowds do not. They are often after physical healing, but Jesus is after something much deeper than that. He's after their spiritual healing. Because he understands if all that he does is physically heal them, there is a day coming when they will die. Even those who are resurrected from the dead by Jesus will once again die if it's only physical. But when spiritual healing begins to occur, when God begins to forgive and when he begins to rid the world of evil and sin, that is when disease, that is when sickness, that is when true healing can begin to occur. And so he says to them, rise up, take up your bed, go home, so that the Son of Man may have authority on earth to forgive sins. The Bible tells us that's exactly what he did. He arose, took up his bed, and he went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, saying, who has given such authority to men? And that word authority often comes up in the Bible, doesn't it? The centurion had recognized it earlier on. He had said, I too am a man under authority. I say to people, come and they come. I say to them, go and they go. Just say the word and I know that my servant will be healed. Jesus says, greater faith I have not seen in Israel. He came into his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The scribes and Pharisees saw it, but they didn't appreciate it. They didn't recognize it because it messed up their world. And the disciples witnessed it firsthand on the Sea of Galilee during the middle of all of that storm and commotion and chaos. Jesus, asleep in the boat, rises up, says, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And at the sound of his voice, he calls out, Peace, be still. The winds and the waves and the sea are calm. 
The world in which we live today sees authority as a curse. But God sees authority as a blessing. Because here we see Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ruler over all creation, which is groaning out, commanding the winds and the waves, and they are still. The reason is because he has the authority to do so. I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. I don't know how many of you grew up in that same kind of generation. Anybody grew up watching Mr. Rogers? You're not scared to admit it in church. I love Mr. Rogers. That was so great getting to grow up and watching all of the things that, that he used to do. You may have heard the story before. During the mid-1980s, as Mr. Rogers was filming his television program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, outside the TV studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, somebody stole his car. And it wasn't a great car by any means, but somebody stole it. Well, the local news media found out about it. They put it on the news that night, and the next day when Fred Rogers arrived to work, somebody had dropped him off, I guess, he found his car in the parking lot and a note put on it, and it said, we never would have stolen it if we had known it was yours. The Bible tells us something deeper here, doesn't it? Not only does God have authority over creation, He also has authority over your life. And I wonder how many of us would be able to realize and look back on our lives and see how we spend our time and our resources and our talents and say, Lord, we never would have taken it away. We'd realized it was yours. The God who has authority over the winds and the sea also has authority over your life as well. He moves on to this next scene of a girl who's restored to life and then a, a woman who is healed in the middle of all that. This ruler comes in and kneels before Jesus saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Is that not bold, audacious faith? Sometimes we pray prayers of caution in the hospital, don't we? Lord, if it be your will, heal this person. Nothing wrong with praying according to God's will. We should do that. But sometimes I think we're so afraid that God won't heal that we're worried that something miraculous should happen if he would heal. <laughs> and so we say, God, if you don't want to heal, that's fine. Let me put all these buffers to make sure you're okay. <laughs> God doesn't need our help to accomplish his will. This man prays boldly. He knows that God has the power to do what he says he will do. And Jesus just turns and follows him with his disciples. And they're going on the way. Jesus notices and feels something. This woman who has suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. We think it would have had something to do with her cycle. So it was an embarrassing thing for her. And in a Jewish culture, it would have made her unclean. And so it was an uncomfortable position. It was an embarrassing position but also was a position of outcast for her. She says to herself, after suffering for 12 years, after seeing who knows how many doctors, after trying to get it diagnosed, after trying to get on the right prescription, having the right operation, getting the right medication involved, and nothing else working, she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Jesus recognizes that somebody touches him. Rather than saying in the middle of that crowd, get your hands off of me, you unclean person. He says these words, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says, take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter. Goodness, a God who sometimes can seem so far away is just right next to them at this moment. Take heart. 
She's a woman of faith here. And I want you to notice something about her faith. It's not nearly as important as how much faith she has as who her faith is in that heals her. I'm convinced that sometimes the prayers that God chooses to answer in my life, I don't know about you, but are sometimes the ones that I pray that have the weakest faith in them. Because what I've figured out that what's not nearly as important is how much faith I bring to the table, but how much God I trust in to do the work that He has said He will do. She's a woman of faith. There are women of faith among us today, don't we? Think of Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, preachers, songwriters of the faith. Eighteen kids. You can imagine what that must have been like. Some of you come from large families. Found an hour every week to spend time in prayer with every single one of those children because she knew that was important. Maybe you prayed for your child because you didn't know if they would survive. Maybe your adult child has gone astray. Maybe you prayed, Lord, just keep my family together. Convinced that the prayers of mothers and spiritual mothers in this congregation and in the church of God all around the world have kept us from a lot of trouble that we would have otherwise faced. She's a woman of faith. Well, as they keep on going along the way, Jesus comes to this ruler's house, sees the flute players and the noisy crowd, and says, go away, this girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laugh at him. They mock him. Because they think she's talking about this girl's past, but it turns out Jesus is talking about her future here. When the crowd has been put outside, he goes in, takes her by the hand, and the girl rises up. And the report of this goes throughout all that district. Heals her. Just does it. So we see what he does with a the paralytic. Then we see what he does with the ruler's daughter, the woman with the issue of blood. And he moves on to these two blind men. We see this happen in verse 27. These two blind men follow him, which must have been incredibly difficult, by the way. How could blind men have sight to follow Jesus. They must have had help. They must have listened to the sound of His voice. Something's going on here behind the scenes. And they cry aloud, Have mercy on us, O Son of David. It's the first time in the Gospel that Jesus has been referred to as the Son of David. They're hearkening back to the Old Testament when Jesus will come as the ruler, the Son of David, to redeem His people. Jesus, once again, just asks a simple question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? They don't give a long theological answer saying, Lord, we've studied the Scriptures. We've been to all of the Sunday school classes. We know our Bible inside and out. We can tell you everything you are able to do. They don't do that. They respond with two words. Yes, Lord. And they trust in Him. And Jesus responds with, according to your faith, be it done unto you, and their eyes were opened. Here's the thing. You will never see God with your eyes until you have first seen Him with your heart. That's where it is. See, the heart of the problem today is the problem of the heart. And it's not until these men are able to see spiritually that they will be able to see 
physically. And Jesus does something unusual after it. You would think there would be a celebration party. Go and put this in the newspaper. Write it down on the front page of the clarion. Put it on Facebook. Let everybody know. Start the prayer and praise chain. Let them know what's going on. And he says, wait a second. Be quiet. Don't tell anybody about it. Of course, they don't listen to him. They go away and tell everybody. But we've seen this scenario before, haven't we? Why were they not to say anything to anyone? Well, I believe that it is this, because Jesus doesn't want the people to misunderstand his position. He wants them to understand that his primary purpose for being here on earth is not physical healing, spiritual healing. Because even these blind men have not fully arrived. A lot of times we see these miracles with the man with paralysis. We see it happen with the girl who's raised from the dead, with the woman who has the issue of blood, with these two blind men. And we add on to the story because we don't see the rest of it, and they lived happily ever after. We do that with Disney fairy tales too, but we don't see what happened the next day and the day after that. And certainly there were times when these men must have struggled not only physically but spiritually read an article recently on a man by the name of Michael May who at the age of 45 miraculously regained his sight. He had been blind since age 3. He had lived 42 years of his life without sight. Then in 1999, he was told he might be able to see again through an experimental surgery. Turns out there have been about 40 cases of sight where this has happened. And you would think this would be a time of celebration. Michael remembers thinking that his family would be excited for the first time since he was three years old. He doesn't have any of these memories. He'll be able to remember what it was like to be able to see. But it turns out in every person who has had this experimental surgery, it's not quite what they thought it was going to be. They see blurred images. They don't have the distance and the perspective that you and I can see. They can't see the depth. And so Michael May described it almost as going around, walking through life, seeing one abstract painting. Never being able to see things clearly in focus. And he said it kind of made him feel like he was living between two worlds. He was no longer in the world of the blind, but he was also not yet in the world of those who fully see but he determined something, that he would learn as best he can, and he would take every flower, every sunset, every sunrise, everything that he saw within his field of vision, he would do his best to endeavor to learn and experience that life with joy. These blind men, their lives are not over. They're going to have struggles along the way. They haven't arrived. I'm convinced sometimes we feel as if we are touched by Jesus that problems will never come again, but it's just not true. There will be struggle. There will be doubt. There will be strife. Like what Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, said. He said, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. And does not yet dream in glory, but it is being purified. He needs their faith so that He can take them to the other side. That's what God requires of you. Not to have your life all in order. Not to have your spiritual checklist made out but a willingness to follow God, a willingness to grow in Him. 
he comes to one final scene, this healing of a man unable to speak. The Bible says, as they were going away. Incidentally, do you notice how many of these miracles occur in Jesus' life when he has been interrupted? He's walking along the way. The woman with the issue of blood comes. He's going away. This demon-possessed man comes in front of him. Most of the lives, most of the miracles that occur in the Gospels occur when Jesus is interrupted by someone. And I think there's a principle for us there. We won't spend too much time on it, but understand this. You may be so caught up in your routine that you have to get things done, and I'm as caught up in a routine as anybody in this room, I promise you. But don't let your routine get in the way of God moving and working in your life because it just might be at the point where the Spirit of God moves. And so Jesus is interrupted here. He sees what's taking place. This man who is mute, who is demon-possessed, He's brought before Jesus, and when this demon has been cast out, the mute man spoke, but there's a reaction to it. The crowds marvel, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. This is great stuff. But the Pharisees had a different response, didn't they? They say that he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Now, here are some guys who know the law. Here are some guys who have the Scripture right in front of them. They, they know that Messiah is supposed to come. They know what it means to keep the law in all of its ways. But I just have to say something to you. They don't see it. And when your heart is not right with God, you can't see Him or hear Him even when He's right in front of you. And for these Pharisees, the place of faith becomes doubt. Insiders. But for these outsiders, the Gentiles, the place of doubt becomes faith. Those who have physical sight are spiritually blinded. But those who are physically blinded receive spiritually, spiritual sight. He comes unto his own, but his own receive him not. But as many as received him, to those gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. My great physician heals the sick, the song goes. The lost He came to save. For me His precious blood He shed. For me His life He gave. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. One of my favorite lines, if you like to listen to some of David Crowder's music, there's a line in there where he tells the sinner to come and kneel because earth has no sorrow Heaven can't heal. There is nothing that is wrong with this world that God will not one day ultimately make right. And He calls to you today. And He asks you to believe in Him and to step out in faith and to trust in Him. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my time on earth and regret that I didn't put it all on the line for Jesus Christ. I want Him to have a blank check with my life because if this God can heal body and soul, then He can heal me too, and He can heal other people. And for the time that I have remaining here on this earth, I want to tell everybody about this God who can take away all diseases and all pain, and who knew me better than I would ever know myself, and who bids me come. And the one who comes, I will in no wise cast out. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.